Conversations with Orbita, a podcast dedicated to helping healthcare and life science organizations reimagine the patient journey with conversational AI. This is where automation meets empathy. Welcome to this episode of Conversations with Orbita. This is Nate Trelore, president and co-founder of Orbita. And today we're going to go back to our roots a little bit. We're going to talk about voice-assisted technology, which is something that Orbita established a, a bit of a reputation in, uh, in the early days of our, our business back about four years ago. It seems like early days, but not so long ago when you look at it in those terms. I'm joined today by Nick White. Nick uh, has joined Orbit a couple of years ago and runs our global business and, and uh, global market and global partnerships and also is a, a voice expert. So we're lucky to have Nick on the conversation today. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Nate. Thanks for having me on today. Really excited to be tackling uh, a very interesting topic that we're going to be talking through. Yeah. And uh, as we just said, we're going back to our roots here. Um, those of us who have been following along know that our business at Orbita is really more generally in the space of virtual assistants in healthcare, uh, exemplified by chatbots, voice bots, and others. But we really cut our teeth focusing on voice initially, and uh, our passion is still there. Voice-assisted technology where through smart speakers and similar uh, devices, you can communicate to a virtual assistant with just the power of your voice. Um, it's been a few years, like it's been since we've been doing this. And in healthcare, one of the things we recognized early on was uh, doing voice-assisted technology in healthcare is different. Um, and one of the reasons it's different is the um, concerns around privacy and security. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about where we are right now since, uh, since the early days of voice. But uh, first, before we jump into it, I also like to give our guests a chance to talk a little bit about their history and working with voice technologies in this example here. And uh, Nick, I know uh, you have some uh, interesting stories that I think our audience would like to hear. Well, I, I thought I'd start with one around uh, how you and I met, actually. Uh, a lot of people are not aware of this, um, but I was working on a solution in Deloitte, which we'll go on to in a minute. I, I worked for many years in Deloitte. And uh, I came across this company called Orbiter, who I had a look at and, and something that I was doing might have been competing with them. And we decided that we would uh, reach out to you guys and just uh, have a call and, and find out what you were doing and whether we were actually competing or not. And I just remember the most amazing meeting coming together in Boston, uh, in, your, in, in the Orbiter offices at the time, and, and just meeting these inspirational people who were doing some fantastic things in the voice space. And it really inspired me with regard to the work that I was doing. So um, I, I'm sure that you remember that meeting as well as I do. I sure do. Um, and if anybody on, the, on this podcast hasn't figured it out, this slight accent here, Nick uh, is based in Australia and uh, came to Orbita um, through that conversation. And uh, we were delighted to bring Nick onto the team. He's added a whole new dimension uh, to um, what we're working on here at Orbita. And uh, one of them is um, related to a really interesting clinical application. Maybe, Nick, you could share uh, what, you, uh, what you presented to us back in that conversation. Absolutely. 
Uh, well, the, the story behind assist is that a colleague of mine's father uh, unfortunately uh, passed away in hospital. And uh, we were talking about what had happened in that particular scenario and coming at it from the point of view of um, how could we avoid this happening for other people in the future and, and what could we do as individuals? We had, the, the situation was that his father had been recovering from surgery and tried to get to the bathroom after pressing a call bell uh, and unfortunately nobody could get to him at the time. Uh, and being a relatively proud individual, um, he tried to get himself to the bathroom uh, and slipped and fell along the way uh, and unfortunately um, broke his hip and that began a, began a precipitous de decline and he passed away in hospital. Uh, it's a it's a horrible situation and it, it's one of those where no one is to blame. And so we started looking at that situation and saying, what went wrong? And as we analysed it more and more, we realised that the technology that was supporting our care teams in communicating with patients or patients communicating with the care teams in those sorts of situations was really letting everybody down. And, and we started to have a think about what technology would make a difference here. And very quickly, we came to voice and realised that if we could deploy a smart speaker into the patient's room, and allow them to speak their request and use machine learning and AI to interpret and understand that request and, and pass a, uh, a piece of information to the nurses that they didn't have. Uh, and that was, what's the nature of the request? Uh, suddenly we could do all sorts of really smart things. We can smart route it to the most appropriate person. We could attach a priority to it. Uh, but even more importantly, we could use that smart speaker to respond to the patient and let them know that they've been heard, give them some guidance on what to do next. And that has really revolutionized the, the ability for patients and nurses to communicate uh, their needs um, in a situation where they may be far apart. Yeah, and uh, obviously we are infatuated with that use case, um, you know, which has brought us to where we are right now with you having, having you on the team here. Um, and we've learned a lot, really, since uh, since the two a year and a half ago, or whatever it's been since uh, you joined Orbita. We've learned uh, a lot, not generally around the assist use case and the bedside assistant use case, but just how people view voice assistive technology and smart speakers for these. Let's call them more clinical use cases. And um, we've spoken about this in the past in Orbita. We've, at Orbita, we've written and uh, recorded quite a lot of information about our perspectives on how voice-assistive technology is likely in, to evolve in the healthcare space. And one of our assertions early on was that the initial applications, which uh, we've seen and been part of helping to develop, were more on the, uh, let's call them non-personalized informational type. So think about, for example, an Alexa skill or a Google Assistant action that's able to answer questions about health and wellness topics. Um, we, our first forays into voice spent a lot of time uh, developing those things, but we always saw promise in being able to provide a more personalized experience that would take it, uh, into consideration the needs of the individual patient in this case and be able to provide uh, answers or support in context. And Nick, what we love about the assist application is that Although theoretically, it could be anonymized, right? The patient in a bedside could ask general questions like, you know, what's on the menu today? 
But the real power is something that is personalized to the needs of that particular patient. Maybe you could talk to some variations of that, those examples in the bedside assistant case. Yeah, what was really interesting when we came together, I think, was in the, in the building of assist, we'd come up with the idea of voice-enabled workflow. So the ability to make a request and for that request to be turned into uh, a, a workflowed item that could be routed to an individual to respond to. So that, that was sort of a, a really great idea. Uh, when we first looked at the Orbiter platform, the most exciting thing that we saw were things like um, the ability to do surveys, the ability to ingest uh, large amounts of content and, and have that as a um, interrogatable database of, of content, so curated content that I could uh, ask questions about. And those questions could be as simple as, um, uh, where is the, the nearest cash machine in, in the hospital? Or it could be complex, like um, what time is my physio appointment later today? And that's where we see some of the personalization start to come in, where uh, an individual could start to really get more involved in their own care journey and access information about their care journey that is in some of the systems that the hospital use, but are not accessible to the patient while they're lying in a bed. Um, and, mm -hmm. and the ability for this voice technology to start to uh, bridge the gap uh, of information accessibility and, and really make that available to the user. Uh, and, and it doesn't need to be voice-based as we went more into it. We're absolutely smart speakers play such a, a critical role. But some of this information can be provided through a conversational interface on, on multiple devices. But I know we're focused on, on voice today and where voice is going with the smart speakers. Uh, and really exciting to see how that started to evolve from a very simple interface with, you know, ask a question, get an answer um, to that, as I say, voice-enabled workflow. And then from there, contextually aware and individually aware, um, personalized um, assistant, I guess, is the best, um, the best use of the words to describe what we can do there. Yeah, we, uh, we use the word modality um, when we talk about the way a patient can interact with digital technology and voice, using your voice to speak to a smart speaker is the voice modality. And to your point, you can have a virtual assistant that can respond to touch and text and um, you know, other forms of input. There aren't too many more <laughs> besides those, I guess, gesture. But we're talking specifically about voice today. And one of the reasons why we are interested in, in voice is for the reasons you gave. It's the, it's the most natural way that somebody can express themselves. And it's one of the first forms. It is a, really the first form of actual communication you learn and um, as a, a human. But uh, it has its own advantages. And, and then it has its own challenges when it comes to applications in healthcare. And one of them is just generally around this area of privacy and security. Um, we talked about personalization. And, um, you know, it is the case that when you're using a mobile app and maybe there's a chat bot or a, uh, an interface where you're texting and typing, that you are sharing some information about yourself uh, that's going to inform the, the conversation and inform the, the uh, application and experience. And if you take that pattern and try to apply it to a voice world, 
Um, there are some differences. One first being that you're speaking to a speaker um, over the airways, if you will. And um, if you're saying something out loud, I guess technically anybody who's in with an earshot can hear it. And uh, there are some people who have, have highlighted this as a, a concern for voice-assisted technology in, in the healthcare context. And then there's just the reality of, um, you know, how is the data secured? You know, what mechanically and technically is happening? Um, we're coming up, I think, in the next week on the two-year anniversary of um, a move on the part of Amazon with their Amazon Alexa technology to address some of the concerns on that latter point. Um, by deploying a version of Alexa that is uh, HIPAA eligible. And I know, Nick, you've been very close to uh, this topic very generally. And maybe you could speak from your own experience, uh, you know, what you see as both the challenges and opportunities of voice with respect to security, uh, compliance, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that we've been looking at now for Oh, the better part of four years of the journey that we've been going on. So it, it's something that we've been very close to as we've gone on this journey. I think the first thing that I would say is um, we came into this uh, and, and recognized the privacy uh, concerns very early on and, and built the solution in a way that allowed us to be, I guess, as you talked about before, to step into it piece by piece. So Initially, in our first deployment, a patient could ask, make a request, and, and we didn't know who they were other than the bed number. And, and that allowed us to essentially have that anonymity. Um, but the important thing was that to recognize in the architecture, the smart speakers do take a recording of the individual. They do pass that up into a server, and, and that recording is processed uh, and the intent of what the person is saying is un is extracted and understood and then passed into um, the uh, the machine logic, the logic that we've built to, to process that request. Uh, and, and it's really important to recognize that that happens because that then uh, has the HIPAA implications, the fact that we have processed the voice and the request in that way. Uh, and, and as you pointed out just then, you, you can potentially pick up background noise. Um, you know, the, the, the second part is that you, you do have a recording of somebody's voice, even for a short period of time, and you need to manage that in an appropriate way uh, with regard to HIPAA. The key first development here, I think, is that we started doing pilots of this technology on a consent basis. Uh, and, and that's really key. What we were doing in, in the early stages and, and continue to do is we have those uh, pilots of this technology that are out there where the patient is giving their consent for uh, their voice to be processed in this way. Um, and, and that allows us to pilot the technology. I think the, the second stage that really came about was when Amazon made this announcement around a HIPAA-eligible skill uh, and, and allowed skills to be developed that contained HIPAA information, PHI, uh, but it was an individual deploying or, or using that skill in their own home. So they were in an environment which was their environment. Uh, they were 
using this, the, the device and the skill. Uh, and they were transmitting PHI from that personal, essentially secure environment in their house. Uh, and and uh, that was going across to the, the covered entity. So that was stage one. Uh, there was a lot of confusion at that time because a lot of the individuals that we heard from had heard about this HIPAA compliance and then thought, right, we're able to deploy these devices into the enterprise. And, and there's a key difference here in that uh, the, the pilot that was being done at that time by the team at Amazon was about deploying a consumer-based skill into the home as opposed to an enterprise skill into uh, a, a commercial healthcare environment. Uh, and, and that's something which uh, hasn't changed today. At the moment, the HIPAA-eligible skills are out there and available to be deployed for consumer-based skills, but we don't yet have a smart speaker that is uh, available to be deployed into an enterprise environment um, for a HIPAA-compliant skill from end-to-end. Right. And uh, that was uh, the, the announcement I alluded to before, where Amazon has um, announced a HIPAA-eligible version of Amazon Alexa, their voice-assisted technology. That sort of put a crack in the, uh, uh, in the armor, if you will, of, the, of this opportunity of creating secure HIPAA, um, uh, I'll put it in air quotes, HIPAA-compliant voice skills. Um, we're tossing around some terminology that not everybody on this call will, or on this podcast will be aware of. Um, HIPAA is a stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It's a, a U.S. Uh, government law for ensuring the privacy and security of healthcare data. And um, you know, it is the framework under which a lot of all digital healthcare applications need to operate, and whether they use voice or not. And like you were saying, Nick, when you add voice into the equation, there's aspects of the experience of using voice that cross into this boundary of um, health of HIPAA. Um, one of the requirements for HIPAA is in order for something to be considered protectable or protected health information, it has to be health information. That's the kind of stuff that you would find in a medical record information, biometric information, your blood pressure, et cetera, age. But it also has to be attached to some way to personally identify who you are. And what's interesting about voice and voice applications is that one of the items that can be used to identify a person is the sound of their voice, their voice signature. And uh, anybody who has been using some of the later smartphone technologies knows, and smart speakers for that matter, know that there are technology out there that can identify who you are based on your voice. So it adds another layer of, uh, let's call it intrigue, about how voice-assisted technology applies in the healthcare space. Um, so getting this right is important and um, realizing the benefits and value. I like uh, what you highlighted about consent-based models because in the end, you know, the patient needs to be empowered and take advantage of the strengths of these technologies of like voice um, with an understanding of what it actually means for their own privacy and security. But also yeah. there should be some understanding and an expectation that whoever is putting this service in place, this tool, is also doing it in a way that's sensible and reasonable. I think it's really important to, to recognize the, the power this has had. Uh, just to feedback from some of our initial pilots, uh, we had 
100% of people in our first group report back to us that the next time they're in, tech, in hospital, they wanted to be in a room where this technology was available. It had that much of yeah. an impact on them in terms of being able to access both care and information that they were previously not able to access. Um, and, and that had a massive impact on us of saying, this is really important. This is really important technology to make available to patients and to allow them to uh, you know, take a really active role in their care journey and, and get access to the information and the care that they need. So, yeah. so I think it's really important that we do solve this challenge um, and, and that we are able to make this technology available to people more broadly. Um, what I would say is, you know, we've seen some really interesting developments over the, the past year or so. Uh, and I think that um, the, the global pandemic and crisis that we've been going through has had some big influence there. So I think it's, it's probably worth dipping in a little bit around how this has evolved over the last couple of years. Well, even in the last year, right? You can, like you said, with the pandemic, uh, a couple of things have happened. One is an awareness of the power and potential and really the need for these virtual uh, healthcare technologies, a way to reach patients outside the traditional clinical settings um, in their home, like the examples you were given before, the other one, which is more in the facility, and you can speak to this better than I can, there has been quite a lot of interest in um, using smart speaker voice-enabled technology to just create a, a path of communication between a patient in a hospital and their family members and loved ones who, because of the pandemic, cannot necessarily go in and see their, their loved one in the hospital. Maybe you could speak to that example. Yeah, I think there's a number of number of different aspects of that example. I, the, the first indications for me of how fast this was going to move was the rate of adoption. So we've seen a rate of adoption of uh, smart speaker devices uh, that, that is, I don't know if it outstrips mobile devices, but it's certainly up there with mobile device adoption uh, for, for things like phones. Um, but, but over a very short space of time uh, and just a number of years, we were seeing significant penetration of these devices into people's homes. What I then started to hear about was people taking them into hospital with them. So they would take their uh, device from home into hospitals so that they had access to things like news and weather and music and all of those consumer features that were there. And then we started to see people having ideas around isolation. How do I connect with somebody who is isolated? Uh, and when, when the COVID pandemic hit, this really started to accelerate, especially in the aged care space. I had a lot of people talking to me about how they were using um, video-based smart speakers to connect with their loved ones who were in a uh, assisted living space or a retirement village. Uh, and, and they were able to keep that daily connection going with these devices. Uh, what we then heard was uh, a relaxation of some of the, the HIPAA rules around the use of this sort of technology in a healthcare environment. And very quickly, we saw the adoption of smart speakers in many institutions across the U.S., 
to allow care teams to drop into a patient's room who may be in isolation uh, while they're infectious, uh, to minimize uh, the number of times that a, a nurse needed to be, a nurse or a care worker needed to be exposed in that environment and the consumption of PPE as well, to, to reduce that consumption of PPE uh, when a care worker needs to go into a patient's room. So there was a very quick change that happened uh, and, and we started to see these devices getting rolled out and used in the healthcare environment. And I think that that, you know, everything I've talked about there sort of built up as a wave ready for that adoption to, to begin. Uh, and I think we're probably still seeing that build now as more and more hospitals and facilities become aware of that, that possibility to deploy this technology in that way and to take advantage of it. I also think we're still learning about more and more use cases that these devices um, can be used for in these facilities. Yeah, um, I think the, the specific changes in the in the laws in the U.S. at least related to the pandemic were uh, weren't necessarily a relaxation of the rules, but basically an agreement that if a hospital, for example, was was in a kind of a crisis situation and responding to the pandemic, that whatever sanctions or penalties that would normally be applied if they didn't perfectly comply with every regulatory requirement of HIPAA uh, would not be pursued by, you know, the, the oversight body. So it just basically allowed them to be a little bit more relaxed and, and uh, supportive of these, these more um, innovative approaches to opening communication between a patient and their care team. Uh, and in some cases, as you pointed out to their their uh, family and friends, not in the facility. Let's go back to the, the bedside assistant for a second, because one of the things that I always thought was most compelling about it, or one of the compelling aspects of it, is that it's a voice-free experience for the patient. And as you pointed out, it doesn't have to be um, highly uh, clinical. It could be just, uh, I need a glass of water, I need to use the toilet. But there's the, the clinician's experience as well, right? And maybe you could talk about how the clinicians view these hands-free experiences for patients at the bedside. Yeah, it was something we got some requests on pretty early on, which was, this is great, you're supporting the patient, but can you support me too? Uh, and so we started to think about what were the, the typical requests that a care worker might need help with um, when they were in a patient's room and and certainly our own experiences of going through um, healthcare environments and, and watching uh, the kinds of events that went on, uh, when might you need to do something that you, you, you needed to be hands-free? You, you didn't have the ability to press a button. You uh, were focused on the patient uh, uh, or, or focused on the work you were doing. And having some sort of voice-based device to make a request uh, would simplify and optimize the way you work and really just help you out. And so things like asking for help, right? It's just a simple request of a, a nurse needing help from another nurse or another person on the care team. Um, being able to make that request quickly and via voice uh, and to have that routed through to one of the, the the team to come and help out was the first thing that we were able to to do. I think from there, we started to think about the different teams that you have within a healthcare environment and, and how you could, um, say, request linen to be brought to the hospital unit or 
um, asking uh, an environmental services agent to come and um, collect uh, food trays or, or to turn a room ready for the next patient. All of these sorts of requests started to come out and, and think about how we could support um, the, the clinicians themselves. We were then asked to have a look in um, operating theatres uh, and, and other environments around the facility about how the voice technology could be used, not just by uh, the care team in a, in a hospital unit, but by different clinicians in different environments around the hospital uh, to enable them to use essentially hands-free technology with their voice to be able to execute some of the work that they were doing and uh, support them in the delivery of care. So we've now got a very wide range of examples and different use cases of how this technology can be used in a healthcare environment to support the clinicians. Um, and we've seen some fantastic examples of that being deployed. Yeah, and you know, that's one of the things that's most compelling about this is that you really have so many different workflows when you're talking about caring for somebody in a clinical setting like that and different stakeholders. Um, you know, the simple example of, uh, you know, it's time to turn the room. Um, communicating that is with, with that kind of context. And if it's done through a smart speaker in the room, you don't have to say it's time to turn the room in, or turn the room in room number 210 because the speaker knows what room it's in, right? Yeah. And uh, little things like that can save, uh, you know, seconds mean quite a lot to a very busy uh, on-call nurse. Uh, well, the other I, one that I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, just straight on that one, one of the things that showed us how valuable that would be was I remember standing in a hospital unit once and seeing a phone ringing and thinking mm -hmm. to myself, there is somebody at the other end of that phone call, phone who is trying to find someone to help them right now. They're on the phone trying to find, uh, in this case, it was a porter. They needed somebody transported to the operating theatre uh, and they were calling various numbers to try and find uh, a transport agent. And immediately we thought about how could we uh, enable that through our solution for the, the care worker, the nurse, to simply be able to put in their request using voice for a, a transport agent to come to the unit uh, and help the patients move to the operating theatre. And that was able to be achieved really easily. We were able to develop uh, the, the solution for the nurse to make the request, that request to be packaged up into a, a workflow and routed to uh, the individual who needed to respond to it. And, and we then started expanding our horizons massively in terms of the, the different use cases that we could support within a healthcare environment. Yeah. So, Nick, let's step back a second, and, and uh, we're, we're talking about the uh, bedside assistant use case. Um, and maybe we can talk more generally about a hands-free assistive um, experience for somebody being cared for in a facility. Let's be more abstract like that. So it could be a residential care facility, nursing home, maybe even um, somebody in their own home, but with a, a more dedicated or let's call it more elaborate uh, care framework around them. Um, what needs to be true? Like, a, a, you, know, you know how much we both like that expression. What needs to be true for um, these kind of applications to work, uh, really work? Um, you need obviously a device and you need to have some awareness and sensitivity to privacy and security. 
How would you break it down for somebody who's looking to consider a solution like this? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. I, I think that there are a couple of elements we would talk about. One, we need to understand the workflows that happen within your healthcare environment, right? Who are the various roles that you have uh, and how do uh, you flow work between those roles? And, and so very early on, we will engage and we'll understand what are those, what's the typical nature of requests that you get um, and how do you want them routed to the various people? We will then look at device in the physical location where the, the patient or the speaker is. Uh, and we'll look at how do the, uh, the employees that you have, the care workers that you have, and the other individuals that may be in the community of care that surround that patient, what technology do they have available to them to receive a request that's coming from the patient? And then really where... Uh, Orbiter uh, comes in and, and provides this strength of capability is around understanding what has been said. So once an individual is able to speak to a device or communicate with a device, um, we're able to take that request and we use our natural language capabilities to understand the request, to process that request, and then using the business logic that we've built to route it to the most appropriate person to respond. So in a hospital, that might be as simple as from the patient to the nurse. But it might be that we can support the nurses by routing it directly to uh, a, a nurse's assistant, um, an environmental services agent. So we, we can route it directly to the person who's most appropriate to respond to the patient. If we take that one and, step... Uh, oh, sorry, go. I was just going to say, I think that's a really important point. Uh, because there have been technologies for notifying your care team, right? We've had mm. those in the yeah. past. And um, there's the, you know, the um, well-known red call button that most people who have maybe had an experience in a hospital should be familiar with. You press the button, you get the nurse. Um, but quite a bit of difference between a button that you push and what you might say to a smart speaker. And it's really about context, right? Absolutely. And, and it just provides that rich information about what you need. And we can then attach a priority to it, right? You, you asking for um, a, a, a glass of water is you know, potentially a medium priority. You asking to reach your bag so that you can get your glasses, relatively low priority. But somebody who's fallen or somebody who is in pain and requires medication we can attach a higher priority to that request and communicate that with the care worker. And as a result, uh, support the care worker in understanding how important it is to get quickly to the patient. Um, but where I was going to go beyond that is when we step out to something like community-based care or hospital in the home, uh, it's not necessarily the care worker the, that is the fastest or the most appropriate person to respond. And we've been talking with a number of institutions about how do you enable the community that is around an individual in a home? Uh, it, it might be their own family. It might be their neighbours. Um, how, how do you bring all of those people into that sphere of care and actually start to support them when an individual needs help? Uh, and, and, and how do we involve those people? So that, that's a, a great frontier that we're looking at now 
as there are more and more organizations starting to look at the hospital and the home concept uh, and extending care beyond the boundaries of our traditional healthcare institutions. Uh, and this sort of technology is going to be absolutely fundamental to the success of hospital and home programs. Yeah, that last point is a good segue to maybe uh, our, our last little topic here, which is what's next, right? So we're starting to see the practical requirements for meeting privacy and security uh, needs in clinical applications uh, emerge, right? We're seeing more of those, whether it's a, a model of compliance with regulatory requirements or a model of consent or some combination. The precedence has been set and uh, we're fortunate that we're seeing really good and strong movement by um, you know, technology leaders uh, in the voice uh, market. Um, and then, uh, but we're also seeing new possibilities. I think what you highlighted of, um, let's call it um, message prioritization based on context that may go to a clinician or to a care team, whatever whatever the use case would suggest as an example. Uh, but the other things that are happening, for example, um, biomarkers. And yep. uh, this is something that we've talked about on this podcast in the in the past. And I know you've you've got some great familiarity with this particular technology and some some of its potential. Yeah, look, I think that there's a number of things that are coming down the pipeline that we're going to be really excited about taking advantage of. Biomarkers are a fantastic one. There are some great examples of very early stage um, technology around identifying an event that is occurring because of what we can hear and what somebody's saying. Um, so um, the, the ability to understand or, or, or predict or, uh, I guess, report that somebody is going through some sort of event. Uh, and I think one of the examples I heard of recently was the ability to uh, detect that somebody is having a stroke uh, by what, there's, what is being said. So there are some companies out there who are doing some really exciting things in this space. And, and what I think in coming years that we will see is that that technology is incorporated into voice technologies to be able to provide support to someone even when they can't say it themselves, when they can't say that they need help, that we're able to detect from their voice and what's being said that there is an event going on and, and that support is required. So I think that's a really exciting evolution that's coming. I think uh, the, the other ones that I would reference, um, sentiment analysis has been around for a while and and started with the ability to understand whether somebody was leaning towards a yes or a no, and then it got much richer around um, whether somebody was um, upset, whether somebody was engaged, uh, and how do we change our response uh, in the interaction uh, with regard to that sentiment that they have. Uh, and so I think the, uh, there's a dynamic nature in conversational AI Versus traditional chat. There's plenty of traditional chat experiences out there. But when you add in this dynamic element of sentiment and the ability to adjust the conversation to the user, uh, I think it, it, it's a much richer experience for the end user. Uh, and, and then we go into capabilities such as multilingual. We've already seen multilingual mm. capabilities come out on, on smart speakers that are really changing the or lowering the access um, to these devices and being able to use these devices. And the exciting thing there is that lowers the barrier to, to care 
right, the, the, to accessing care, if we can provide the capabilities that we have today in more and more languages, then we really are providing support for multilingual environments in hospitals where it might not be an English speaker who's in the bed who needs care. So multilingual is a really exciting development in this technology. And, and I'm going to add the last one in here, which I think is really what we're talking about today. But one of the exciting developments that I, you know, we're going to see is the ability to deploy uh, HIPAA compliant devices into an enterprise. And, and we're not there yet, uh, but I think that uh, this is something that will come in a matter of time. And, and it's really going to uh, extend the potential of these devices in a healthcare environment uh, and, and allow us to accelerate the, de the deployment of those capabilities. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a, an excellent point. I think just to go back quickly to the um, the multilingual example, I think it would have I think it came across, but um, it's really not just being able to handle different languages. There's also the potential for language translation and live machine learning driven language translation where communication between two speakers who don't speak the same language can be facilitated by a smart device that can handle the translation. And that technology, like a lot of this voice technology, has advanced considerably just in the, in the past few years. So not for every language on the planet, but for the dominant languages, Spanish to English, et cetera, um, there's uh, really powerful translation tools out there that can be applied in, the, in these applications. And, and I think the best way to express that constraint is if you're in pain, you typically don't say it in a second language. You will typically speak in your native tongue at that point in time. Um, and, and, you know, we've only, each of us only have so many resources. And when we're in pain, we will typically um, go to our native tongue. And, and so having the ability to understand somebody in their native tongue, uh, but provide that uh, call for help through to a nurse in the language that the nurse works in uh, or the care worker uh, is, a, is a really amazing capability of this sort of technology. Right. And, and it may not be lost on the listeners, but when we talk about voice analysis, we're not just looking at what the words are that the individual is saying. There is the ability to look for patterns in the audio of an individual's voice for indications of distress, right? So if mm -hmm. someone's crying, um, that's an audio signature that can be detected. And uh, so when we talk about the power of voice, it, it's beyond just the words. It's, it's what is communicated that, um, you know, an average human can pick up whether there's any words coming out of someone's mouth. It's just what you hear, uh, stress in the voice, um, crying, uh, things like that can speak to volumes in terms of the wellness and the needs of the patient. So this is also part of the possibility. And um, what's interesting about this, again, one thing that we've said in the past on this podcast is the technology is there. It's really the use cases that are catching up with the technology. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, Nick, um, we've talked about a lot of different things from uh, uh, privacy and security of voice-based applications, use cases for clinical uh, support in facility and elsewhere. Talked about quite a lot. And uh, I just want to thank you for your insights on this podcast. Uh, you, everyone, you've been listening to Conversations with Orbita with uh, Nate Lore, your host. And uh, again, my thanks to Nick White. Uh, Orbit as GM of Global Markets. Thanks very much for having me today.